Miss Becky sent me a text about uh, halfway through, and she said, are you okay? I said, I'm just fine. You know, uh, I think that, that maybe that's just a good segue into tonight's passage. Because, you know, I, I've been a Christian for most of my life. But I haven't been a ministering Christian for most of my life. And uh, I think that what the children of Israel, as we look at this passage tonight, and maybe what, what myself, what I failed to recognize over the years was that God had an expectation for me as an individual to minister as an individual. And that has evolved now over the last several years, not into me becoming a pastor or or even pastoring in a church, but having an understanding that when God places an individual in front of me, that they're there because he has an expectation that I will represent kingdom work and ministry in that moment. And so regardless of, uh, uh, well, I think it's as good a time to talk about it as any, uh, especially in light of Second Kings 17 today, um, I didn't say anything to Jerry on the beach, uh, but you and I were Christian men doing fellowship, doing life and ministry together on the beach with Jerry. And we all have an opportunity as a congregation to do that each and every day, right? So, so we, don't, we don't have to, to get in a tie, right? We don't have to, you know, preach from behind the pulpit. We don't have to be a Sunday school teacher we don't even have to have, you know, a devo daily devotional ministry like Becky on Facebook, right? We, we, can, we can pray with folks in the restaurant. We can uh, talk to folks on the phone. We can uh, just reach out by text to our fellow church members and say, hey, I'm thinking about you today. I'm praying over you. Uh, you know, I love you. Uh, do you need anything? And that is so different, right? I mean, it is a completely different concept. Uh, about Christianity than most of of the world has. And so by its very difference, right, we become something peculiar, special. That's what God wanted for Israel. That's, that's what he wanted in all of the reigns of the 19 kings before Hoshea. That's what he wanted during the reign of Solomon. That's what he wanted during the reign of Jeroboam. That's what he wanted when he sent all the prophets. When he brought them out of Egypt... They were supposed to be something different, something special. Uh, they, they went to the mountain and he gave them laws and statutes and commandments. And they weren't the laws of the Amorites. They weren't the laws of the Hittite. They were different. They were special. And so as a people, all they had to do was be who they were supposed to be. And they would have shown like this bright light to the whole wide world. But the reality is, is that they mixed up a lot of things into it. And what they lost most of all is they lost their fear of God. You see, they, they, when they came out of Egypt the first time, they stood at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses ended up going up that mountain, down that mountain six times. One time he went up there because the people 
saw the mountain quake. They saw it tremble. They saw the holiness of God and the glory of God descend on the mountain. It's described for us in the scripture that, that the mountain, you know, practically glowed like it was on fire. And the people began to shake as they encountered the presence of God himself. And when they encountered that presence, they were scared to death. God is special. He's different. He is not like us. He only is like us in the fact that he sent his son Jesus Christ when all of the prophets didn't work, when all of the warnings failed. Then Hebrews tells us that in the last days he sent his son. And so coming among us as a man, we came to understand him in some finite way, even though he is so, so different and beyond our comprehension. Well, God has a desire for you and for me to fear him. You say, well, he doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He wants us to be, uh, to be you know, friends. He called his disciples friends. And we like to go to those passages in the New Testament. But the reality of the matter is, is that as God would come into this particular house like he did Solomon's temple, remember several chapters ago, several sermons ago, we wouldn't be able to stay here because his presence would come in. And as the glory of God filled the house, those priests had to get out. They couldn't stay there. To come into contact with the holiness of God is to die. No man has seen God, it says. And so we forget so often that unique characteristic of God. You know what makes him that way is that he's sinless, that he's perfect, completely unique and holy, unlike us. As Israel forgot that, they went through season after season of sin in their life and season after season of sin in their nation until finally the sovereign God, the Lion of Judah, had to work beyond their choices. And we read this in 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 16. We'll read through the entire chapter, the rest of the chapter, and then we'll come back and look at lessons from lions. It says in verse number 16, And they left all of the commandments of the Lord their God, and they made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and they worshipped all of the host of heaven, that's the stars, and they served Baal. It, it got worse from there. They caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, and they used divinations and enchantments, and they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. He removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. You know, even today, they don't know where those ten tribes ended up. Also, Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they had made. The Lord rejected all of the seed of Israel and afflicted them, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord, made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all of the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them. Notice that they left the commandments of God, and they never depart from the things that Jeroboam did. Look at verse number 23 with me. 
until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophet. So Israel was carried away of their own land to Assyria unto this day, which would have been around the time of the Babylonian exile. Now look in verse number 24. The scene changes. Israel is no longer the focus. And Israel never, ever, ever was the focus again. Now, out of, out of the tribes of Judah, you know, we went 400 years through the Babylonian captivity and Israel's history. We find Jesus, you know, there in Bethlehem 400 years later. But these 10 tribes, think, think about this now before we move on. Dan, Asher, right? Simeon. We're talking whole groups of people, hundreds of thousands of people that end up never being heard from again. Because they failed to fear God and went after other stuff, right? We wonder sometimes what happens to churches. And I think similar things happen to churches. And the king of Assyria, in verse 24, brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepervium and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and they dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it... Well, let me just stop there for just a second. Freebie, okay? There is always a people that God brings in in place of a people that won't do what he wants them to do. I don't want us as a congregation to be a people that in our generation are replaced because we won't do what God wants us to do. The king of Assyria, he brought all of these peoples in. He set them in the exact location that the ten tribes of Israel had possessed. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there in verse 25, that they, the people that they brought in, feared not the Lord. Now look how God responds to that. If you're in your King James Version of your Bible and the way they translated that, you'll notice Lord is capitalized right there. This is Jehovah God that is responding. And so it was that at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord, and therefore the Lord sent lions among them which slew some of them. Now wherefore they spake unto the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed into the cities of Samaria, they know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them. And behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. So then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach the manner of the God of the land. So then one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria. Now last time I checked, all of the priests that were in Samaria were, weren't they the priests of those two gold calves and, and those idol temples that Jeroboam, you know, put in? So, so then one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made gods of their own. And they put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwell. The men of Babylon made succoth Benat. The men of Kut made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. The Avamites uh, made Nibhaz and Tartak. The Sepervites, they burnt their children in the fire to Adremelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepervium. And look at this. This is so strange to me. They feared the Lord 
And they made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord, and they served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they had carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourself to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. See how that just ramps on up and ramps on up? But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm. Him shall you fear, and him shall you worship, and to him shall you do sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall observe to do forevermore, and you shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I've made with you, you shall not forget, neither Shall you fear other gods? But the Lord your God shall you fear. And he shall deliver you out of the hand of all of your enemies. Howbeit they did not hearken, but they did after their former manner. And so these nations, they feared the Lord. They served their graven images, both their children and their grandchildren, as did their fathers. So do they unto this day. Let's pray over the reading of the word. Dear Lord, we come before you tonight, and as we look at lessons from lions, I just pray, Lord, that you'd just help us as a congregation to understand the things that are urgent to us. I just pray that you'd help us to understand the situation that the Israelites and the nation of Judah were in. I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand that you uh, have a plan that carries beyond our choices. I just pray, Lord, that you'd stay in our heart tonight a fear that uh, we would have you of you, that you're different, that you're glorious, that you're powerful, that you're not like us. And Lord, I just pray that as we see you in a different light, that we'd understand that you love us, that you cared for us, that you sent Jesus to die for our sins but that we'd understand that you're God and that we're not. And Lord, I just pray that as you send us out into the community beyond us, that you'd help us to be a people that shines brightly, that ministers in every moment. We pray, Lord, that you'd just send us souls to harvest. We know that the fields are wide unto harvest. We just pray that you'd help us to be a people that does good work for you in our generation. Lord, we thank you for the kids that you brought us. We thank you that you give us opportunity to minister in their lives. We thank you that you let us do that when we make their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and when we take them to school. And we thank you that you let us do that in their lives as they look for jobs and as they uh, graduate from college. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us in the time that you've given us to look to your word and to be encouraged to do your work. I pray that you just... Give me clean lips tonight, that you'd let me be clear in the things that I say. Forgive me of my sins and my shortcomings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as we look at this particular passage, and we saw this morning the things that Hosea and the children of Israel suffered, 
the place that they had been left by generations and generations of other people. And as we come to verse number 16, we look at lessons from lions. The first lesson that we find from lions is that, yes, the sovereign God, the Lion of Judah, works beyond your choices. You say, well, Brother David, there's, there's no mention of the Lion of Judah in this particular passage. No, you only find that in one place in the scripture in Revelation chapter 5. There's a story that's given to us in that prophecy. The Apostle John, as he is in heaven, and he's looking at God himself on the throne. He finds that God has a book. It has seven seals on it. And John begins to weep because there was found no one that was worthy to open the book. John wept. It was a sad situation. No one on earth, no one in heaven, no one worthy to open the book because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the elders that was on that scene in Revelation, he looks at John and he says, Don't mourn. Don't worry about this. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the book. And as you look at Revelation chapter 5 and you see that particular story, you find that lion of the tribe of Judah is that lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. This is Jesus that it talks about there. And we as good, solid Baptists, we believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. And so this God that was dealing with Israel and this God that was dealing with Judah, this God that deals with Unity Missionary Baptist Church is the same Lion of Judah and the same Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so this was not some God far, far away. This was not some being that doesn't care. This was a God who was holy and righteous and created from the very beginning and gave us purpose and life and opportunity to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the God that they were dealing with. As we look at this particular passage of scripture, and we see that the sovereign God, the Lion of Judah, works beyond our choices. Israel made four choices in these verses that God apparently was, was quite upset about. The four choices that they made, they left his commandments. They made for themselves other gods. They caused their children to be idolaters. They used false religion and sold themselves to do evil. You say, well, Brother David, we, we don't do that. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't leave God's commandments. I should love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, with all of thy strength. I don't love God that way. I want to, Brother Joe. I, I want to be that guy, right? But I, I'm just a human being. I, I want that close relationship with him, but, but I know where I've missed the mark. I, I know where I sin. You say, well, I, I haven't made for myself any, any other gods. Well, how about your family? Okay, how about your job? How, how, how about your spouse? How about your church? We make lots of other things that put ourselves and other people as priority instead of God Almighty. And, and we talk good game, but often we make for ourselves other gods. 
They caused their children to be idolaters. They passed them through the fire, not just to sacrifice them, but how do you think they had multiple generations of people who would pass their children through the fire to Moloch? Because their children saw what they did. Their children saw how they worshipped. The children saw what was important in their life. Can you imagine how important something is to someone that they would sacrifice their own child's welfare in order to satisfy? You say, we don't do that in America here, Brother David. Oh, yeah? So how come the ball field's full? How, how come the sports injury clinics are full? How come, how come we'll uh, keep kids from going to summer camp because we've got to go to football camp? Right? Okay. These are the same attitudes. Maybe, maybe that's just an example, and there's uh, dozens and dozens of other ways that we sacrifice our children on the altar of modern-day gods, even our grown children. But it's the same attitude that they had. And so it's easy, once again, to cast stones at them. It's easy to, to say we don't make those choices. But understand that God is working across all of our choices. The Lion of Judah works beyond our choices because he's sovereign. And when they left the commandment, when they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, when they used divination, when they sold themselves to do evil, God was still working beyond their individual choices. In that time, God took the children of, of Israel, the ten tribes that broke off from Judah. He began to put them into leadership, people that were evil, people that didn't want to honor God. And generation by generation, they got morally worse and worse until finally that people that wouldn't glorify God disappeared from off the face of the earth. Today, there is some hope that they will find all of those tribes through DNA. But you know, all of the Jews that are in Israel today, right, they have some connection back to there. But the ones that are there come from Babylonian captivity, not Assyrian. Those ten tribes went into Assyrian captivity, and they disappeared off the face of the planet forever and ever sovereign God did that God also as he worked with Judah if you look down here at verse number 19 with me you notice that he sets them aside in this passage it says in in 18 therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel he removed them from out of his sight there was none left but the tribe of Judah only and also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God but they walked in the statutes that Israel had made and you see there's a separation in this particular chapter between Israel and Judah. And that's because God has a plan throughout all of the ages. Judah would go into Babylonian captivity instead of going into Assyrian captivity. They'd go a little bit later. That was God's plan too. And guess who came home? Those Jews. They called themselves Jews after that. They returned with men like Nehemiah. They returned like men like Ezra. They came back and they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. They came back, they rebuilt the temple that Solomon built. 
They went through a, a time where they were independent to some extent again in the period of the Maccabees. And because God always looks towards Jesus' dead burial and resurrection so that all men could be saved, they finally are in the land of Palestine 400 years after this passage and Herod's on the throne and wise men are coming to Bethlehem and God himself takes on the form of flesh because God is sovereign in spite of the choices that we make. As we look at this second of the lessons that we learn from lions in this chapter, Yes, you should be afraid of lions. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon in verse number 24. From Kutla, from Ava, from Hamath, from Sepervium. It says, and so it was that in the beginning, verse number 25, of their dwelling there, that they feared not the Lord, and therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. And wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. And therefore he had sent lions among them. Now was it, was it their fault that they didn't know God? You know, it was honestly Israel's fault. It was honestly Noah's fault. It was honestly Abraham's fault because all through history, God has had a people whose purpose and commission was to go into all of the world and to preach the good news about a reconciliation between God and man. That you didn't have to be a sinner. That you didn't have to be in bondage to sin. That, that the love of God could be poured out upon you in such a way that like we talked about this morning, your picture of your life is full so that you can overflow to others. Aren't you just so happy about what Jesus did for you? Don't you wake up in the morning and you go, wow, this is a good life that I have. Do you have a life where you're just happy with your wife? Do you have a life that you're happy with your husband? Do you have a life where you want the very best for your children? Jesus gave you that life. And there's so many that are like these people that were brought in from the various countries all over the world. And folks, they came into that same land and they had no fear of God, no knowledge of the person that could save them from eternal damnation. Know how sad that is? I was telling someone at lunch today, we were talking about the contemporary music, the blended services, things like that. And I told him, I said, one of the things I'm committed to is that our children know the old music, right? I, I, I need for young Silas to know Jesus loves me. I, I need for Jacob to, I love to tell the story, <laughs> I need, right, for the ones that God has entrusted into our care to know the fear of God, to understand who he is as he revealed himself in his word. And when we as people act like Israel did, God has no choice but to take us out of the way because he wants yet another generation of people to know who he is. 
Now, in this particular case, it wasn't their fault, but God sent lions among them anyway. It's interesting to me that, that they sent off to the king of Assyria and they said, hey, we know that we're not doing right by the God of this land. Now, how'd they know that? They didn't know the God of that land. How is it sometimes that the world out there understands that God is in control and that God is great and powerful, it seems like more than, than we do? How, how come is it that in the churches, the local New Testament churches of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we often find immorality that the people out there find offensive? It ought not to be that way. We ought to have a fear of God. We ought to look at the scriptures and take seriously the things that he commands us to do. He says to us in, in John, in First John, he says, love one another. Right? Have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with Christ and the Father. Do we take that seriously? Or is it just words on a page? You see, our Christian life has to be more than words on a page if it's going to make a difference out there. They look to the king of Assyria. They ask him for someone, somehow, an answer to the problem because they recognize that God was the one who had sent the lions among them. And so look at verse number 27 with me. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence. Let them go and dwell there. Let them teach them the manner of the God of the land. So then one of the priests whom they'd carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Well, what that tells me is that through those 19 generations of kings that we always think are completely idolatrous, that there was still somebody there that could teach them about God and his holiness. Now, that's the problem in, in our Christian life is we water things down. They watered things down in that nation. You see, when they built those calves at Bethel, there was not really, I think, an intention in Jeroboam's heart that we're going to completely abandon the creator of the universe. He just didn't want the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem and join back up with the people down there in Judah into one nation under God. But he taught his son how to be wicked. The next king that came on could be even more wicked. And finally, as we look into the prophets, it talks about that country, and it says that they did not even know what was right. Are we seeing some of those things in our country today? Yes, we are. Have we gotten to a place where our generation doesn't even know how to come to church? Yes, we do. Have we come to a place where our generation maybe didn't have a value for human life in such a way that now our children and our children's children find such little value in human life? And so we as a people had to be different from them as a people. And so the second lesson from lions is that, yes, you should be afraid of lions. The apostle Peter, he spoke to this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7. 
He said, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Folks, we all have the same problems. We really do. We lose loved ones. We raise children. We watch our children do things that we don't want. We get old. We have uh, things that we thought we'd do for God a long time ago that we just never got around to. And folks, we all face the same burdens, but our approach to life needs to be different. And our approach to ministry needs to be different. We should not only fear the devil that is an adversary in our life, but we should fear God. You remember, Jesus told him, he says, you don't need to be happy about throwing out demons. You need to be thankful that you know the one who is able to save your soul from hell. And that's what Israel forgot. That's what these people didn't know. And yes, we should be afraid of lions the God of the universe Satan himself and we ought to do the things that God asks us to do I want you to look at number three the third lesson that we find in this chapter lessons from lions no it is not enough to be afraid of the lions look at verse number 34 with me unto this day they do after the former manner. They fear not God, neither do they do after his statutes or after their, their ordinances or after the law and the commandment which the Lord commanded. Notice that God uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author uses that children of Jacob, right? Children of the trickster whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. It's not enough to have the knowledge of the attributes of God's holiness. The fact of his holiness has to be what propels us each and every day because we're just prone to go back to the people that we wore. How many of you have known somebody that quit smoking when they were in their late 20s and they go for 30 years 40 years right and then all of a sudden it's like a switch one day they go to the store they buy a pack and they smoke the rest of their life you ever known anybody like that I've known somebody like that my granddad was like that he uh, sucked on an oxygen bottle for the last 7-8 years of his life with a pack of cigarettes close at hand. The man that he was years before, he didn't fear God. He knew of God. He, he, he was even afraid of God. But the reality is, is that he didn't have a relationship with his creator that changed his life. Our relationship with Jesus ought to propel us every day in the things that we do the the relationship that we have 
with our master ought to be the reason that our feet hit the floor and we go to work. The, the, the fact that he loves us ought to be the reason that we're not hard and calloused when we see people in need and, 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 and we, as a, by nature, want to think the worst of them. We have an opportunity to be different. You know, I was uh, talking to someone today, and uh, well, I'm I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna say that. I'm just gonna tell you about me. As a young child, I was kind of like uh, the Vesley's children that I went to eat lunch with this week. You know, their kids are missionary kids, and they go from church to church when they're on furlough. My uh, mom and dad would take us around to places like Unity here, and and I was the oldest, and so they would uh, they would line us up in front of the communion table. I don't even like communion tables because of this, brother Don. But that's not because I don't like communion, but I just remember in my memory, you know, standing up here with my little brothers, and and I'd line them up, and Peter would go right here, and Lawrence would go right here, and. And uh, back then, I was the tallest of the bunch, and, you know, we kind of went down like this. It was pretty cool. We would sing, Kingi wa wa di ni na ga haru mono ga ge yo. Right, that's silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we'd learn that song in Japan, and we would sing that song. And over the years, I remember losing my song. I wouldn't sing in church. I, I wouldn't even sing in the pew. You know, old, old preachers say that one of the things that happens in churches is the men stop singing. And when the men in church stop singing, that you see the decline of that congregation. And that roaring lion... That adversary that we talked about. The one that scares me every day. The one that, that encourages me to be the guy that I was. Right? Somewhere along the way, he stole my song. And I remember that when I went to Cyprus, I had surrendered to the ministry. I was prepared to preach God's word. But I still wouldn't sing and I pastored that church for almost a year and a half two years before I went up there and sang a message and song to my Lord and Savior because I'd lost my song it's so easy for us to slip back to the people that we wore, or to just decide that we will no longer move forward as an individual or as a person in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We just get stale. We get tired. We hear the same things from the pulpit because we're always at church. We sing the same old songs. And we fail to take responsibility to increase our fear of God. I cannot help you as an individual come to a greater appreciation for Jesus 
I cannot, as an individual, draw you closer to God Almighty. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We can talk all day long about ministry, but perhaps the greatest lesson from Lyons is that the individual choices that we make as a congregation determine the direction of our church's ministry. Every church has its own unique, what Becky and I try or like to call, DNA. It is the collective spiritual condition of the congregation. We do not grow because we have great programs. We do not do youth well because we have awesome teachers, a bunch of kindergarten teachers. We don't, we don't do that. We grow as a congregation, and people are attracted to us as a congregation as we each develop our spiritual life in such a way that it bleeds into a daily working out of the Great Commission inside of our community. If I'm here 20 years, and they look at my ministry, I don't want them to say that we built great grand buildings I don't want them to say, oh, well, they had awesome music program. Oh, Brother David did this, that, and the other. If they mark my work for God here in any way, shape, or form, I hope that they mark it as a congregational whole, that we were a people that was filled with the Holy Spirit, that we were a people that worshiped God intensely, and lived out our lives growing closer and closer to the one who died for us in a way that was different from the congregations that were around us. That's what I pray for unity. And when I wake up in the morning, I'll have to wake up, I'll have to grab my Bible, and I'll have to sit down on the couch and open it and read it personally. When Wednesday night gets here, Brother Buster, I'll have to turn the key and drive to church. And when I get to church, when the kids come running in from the bus, I'll have to go out of my way, whether I really want to deal with kids that night or not, and bump them and say hi to them. Because I want us to be a people that is a light in the land where God has planted us don't want to be replaced. I want to be what Jesus wants us to be. Let's pray together tonight. Our dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you. And we just offer you all of the praise because you are that great and glorious God. And Lord, you know that we are just a people that doesn't have much that we can say that anyone would consider of significance. But we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to breathe one more breath, and that because of that, we know that we still have purpose and ministry for you here. Lord, we long for the day that you would just uh, bring us home. We long to see that scene in heaven where you who are worthy will open the book. But Lord, we know that day is not today. And so Lord, if you let us wake up in the morning, we just pray that you'd let us go forth as a church that you'd let us take every encounter that we have 
and that you'd let us shine brightly for you. I pray, Lord, that just as uh, Unity's pastor, that you'd continue to work in my life, that you continue to develop our relationship, that you just uh, show me how to love you more each day. I thank you so much for loving me. And, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, give us good guidance in the things that we do and in the things that we say so that as a congregational whole that we're known in this community as a lighthouse for you. We pray over our sister churches and the ministries that they have. We pray over their pastors. We pray that you would fill the, her houses of worship with people. We pray, Lord, that you would just uh, help them to remain true and that you would help them in the choices that they make. Uh, we give you all of the honor and glory and praise in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Don, would you uh, go ahead and, and let's have an invitation tonight. And if anybody's here that needs to do business with God, we'll only sing a couple of verses.